The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 196 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in this show on my own are that that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, cshub.com. Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, folks, I'm still pushing the Task Force 7 sneakers after they've dropped a couple of weeks ago. Check them out at aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7. I'm super excited about them, folks. They're meant to honor all of those who run the crisis on a daily basis and to recognize that everyone has their own personal crisis. My hope is that when you see or wear the Task Force 7s, you get the confidence to run your crisis and know you're not alone. At Task Force 7, we run the crisis together so you know you're part of the TF7 family. Check them out at aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7. Well, George and I took a little break last week. Hope you enjoyed last week's Encore episode number 169, Securely Making the Move to the Cloud with Rich Wickersham. That was a fun episode. Probably got a chance to replay that for you. Also want to remind you to check out episode 195 with the Director of Cyber Risk Management at Siena Corporation, Becky Ruggiero. Becky joined me to discuss how to change and evolve the third-party risk management assessment process. We also talked about how enterprises are placing bets that they don't understand and don't fully know how much it costs and the the parallels between the third-party risk management process and cyber insurance underwriting. We also discussed the importance of taking risks in your career and how risk management should be a business enabler. All this and much, much more in episode 195 of TF7 Radio. Well, I'm excited about tonight's guest. We have Mr. Anthony Johnson joining me on the show tonight. Anthony is managing partner at Delve Risk, where he leads a practice focused on driving technology and risk management transformation on behalf of his clients. He brings extensive technical and executive leadership experience to the practice while also serving as a technical advisor to a number of software solution providers. Anthony is a graduate of Indiana University, where he received his Master's of Business Administration and of Regis University, where he received a BS in Computer information systems. Throughout his career, Anthony has led some of the largest cybersecurity programs in the world as the chief information security officer, dealing with highly complex multinational regulatory environments and ever-evolving sophisticated threats. He has driven dramatic program transformations across hundreds of people with budgets in the hundreds of millions of dollars, emphasizing the expansion of analytics, secure from the start architecture, incident response, and cloud-first security approaches to shatter expectations of what is possible with classic corporate teams. He leads with a people-first mentality and is a coach to existing CISOs around the world. 
helping to translate complicated technology issues into actionable strategic plans that align with the corporate and board objectives. Anthony is a global speaker on the topic of cybersecurity and enterprise risk, an active technology evangelist advisor to emerging startup companies, and has multiple patents in progress related to both risk management and blockchain. Prior to joining Delve Risk, he served as a global CISO and managing director for multiple Fortune 100 companies, including Fannie Mae and the corporate investment bank at J.P. Morgan Chase. His other passions include advancing the discussion on diversity and inclusion in the workforce and creating channels for disadvantaged youth to enter the technology field. He lives in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area with his wife and daughter. It's my pleasure to introduce managing partner at Delve Risk, Mr. Anthony Johnson. Anthony, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Hey, thanks a lot, Andy. Good to be here, man. I'm excited. Yeah, man. Look, we've known each other a long time, bro. I'm excited to have you on the show. You've uh, you've had such a fun, interesting career. And you know, when I first got introduced to you through... Um, you know, some, some really, you know, I admire in this industry, Mr. Joel Yance and Joel, you know, was just such a, is such a great practitioner. And he came up through that, that lineage, man. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about your journey, man, coming from, you know, working with, with Joel and then, you know, getting into the CISO seat and then being an entrepreneur, you feel awesome, give the audience dude. a little that path, man. Yeah. Thanks. It's, uh, it's, it's been crazy. And what, what I would say though, is that like, if somebody would have told me a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, before it actually started a company, that I was ever going to go, you know, transition from being a hands-on techie guy to a CISO to a, a founder, I'd have told them they're nuts, right? right. Um, it's just, <laughs> it's just not a thing. I'd have been like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. But no, let me start at the beginning, Genesis. Um, so I started off as a hands-on techie person in, in the Air Force. I did a lot of red team type of work. Um, 3CO came straight out of high school. Um, I was not going to be the, the guy who was ready for college at that time in my life. Um, eventually, I uh, you know finished my undergrad. Um, I started to, to pick up security uh, leadership roles. I did a lot of work with like the Spider Labs team and the original Trustwave team back in the day on, on the red team right. stuff. Um, I, I, consulting was so important for me just to get a sense of like different views. Um, and then I took those skills and eventually became CISO at companies like, you know, GE Treasury, uh, Fannie Mae, JP Morgan, the corporate investment bank there. And um, a few years back, I decided to go and start my own thing. And it's been it's been wild and crazy fun ride, man. Yeah, dude. So, you know, and, I, and I've admired your career, um, you know, because those are some serious companies with a lot at stake, you know, for the payment system and critical infrastructure protection. And, you know, they're not easy leaps to make. Um, and so, you know, I'm, through that journey, you know, and in those roles, you know, you know look, you're, you're managing a lot of people, a lot of process, a lot of technology, right? And, uh, and it's all got to work together to kind of give you the right outcome. What, what were some of the you know, best kind of people decisions you felt like you made during that process? Um, I'm probably going to say some of the best ones are some of the worst ones as well. Um, you know, early on in my career, I, I, I remember trying to think that, you know, you had to coach, you could coach everybody, right? And I remember being a, a team lead and I started working with this architect who just really, was super slick, super smart. And eventually he was like, Hey, Hey kid, can you just uh, pretty much just leave me alone? I'm going to do a great job here. 
just don't try to like inspire me to be more. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm seasoned in what I'm doing. And it, it actually just caught me off guard because I, you know, even from a, from the military perspective, I was like, Oh, when you're a leader, you gotta, gotta coach people, work with them. And what that really taught me is that I needed to understand the people. I needed to understand what they really wanted, what they were trying to get out of things, as opposed to just trying to, to force my agenda. Um, and uh, that really transcribed in, in, in a number of, you know, tough hiring reorg design decisions, or maybe my favorite was putting somebody in role in a, in a role before they felt they were ready. Right. But knowing yeah. they were going to have some problems, but they were going to come out of the other side, just be an amazing leader after it. Um, but there are some, some great stories like that, that were just so critical and pivotal. So, so that's a really you know great point. Right. I mean, I think as a leader, you've got to recognize that there's more for your people that then maybe they see for themselves and give them the, the runway, the ability to fail, the confidence and make, and, and let them know that, you know, you trust them. And yeah. man, some leaders just cannot get that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they just can't get it. So like that to me is like you recognizing that is, is really huge. It says a lot about, you know, how you manage people because, there's just so many folks in our industry that just cannot let go. Um, and, and, and so I think that's a big part of it. And so, you know, on that theme of like not letting go, you know, it's also kind of like that in the technology side of things, right? Like people kind of have their tech that they are married to and love and they almost close the door to like listening to people around the other tech that may be available. Like how, how did you approach, you know, looking at, technology selection and kind of where did it, where did it go well and where did it not so go so well? Yeah. So I, the most important piece for me was again, and, and I think it does tie back into, into that people conversation um, in order to make a good sense, a good decision on the tech that I actually would want or implement. I actually had to understand again, where the organization and company was, right? There's a lot of times where people think up oh, your security leader you know, or, or even if you were like, imagine you were a, a coach of a professional football team, like you might have your plays. You're like, this is our play. This is what we do. You know, we, we, we run or play the ball a certain way. But when you get onto the field or you get into that company and you realize, hey, I know you were thinking about product X, but they can't even spell product X. <laughs> like you have to, you have to really look at the organization and, and, you know, what their level of readiness is before you can make a tech decision. So, so I, I guess it comes back to that it is very customized um, or it needs to be um, simply because there's just not a one size that fits all. Um, and if you, if, if probably the biggest example, man, there are companies and I kind of call them pre-cloud and post-cloud. The way you solve, you know, organ problems for a child, uh, for a company that doesn't have all the legacy tech debt that, uh, you know, a pre-cloud company does is very, very different. If they if they've inherited and grown through acquisitions, you have to have a different set of tools. You have to think about thinking their problems a little bit differently. Um, you just can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So that's actually a really good like topic, right? Because I think when you start talking tech debt, you know, if you were to if you think about it, right? You know, all the successful huge companies today that are, we'll say, in the last ten years, they all started cloud native, like cloud first. And if you were to you think about acquisitions of companies and all the tech debt that companies have, man, if you're starting a company today and you're not cloud first, like you're missing the boat big time. 
um, for most companies. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and so, compete. yeah. <clears throat> so like how, when you're walking in and you got the, you know, companies that are still running data centers, I mean, get my last company, dude, we, we, we actually closed the data center during the pandemic. <laughs> like we, we, we transfer, we transitioned out of a data center, closed it down while we were managing COVID. Right. Cause we we're like, we got to get yeah. out of here. Right. But you know, how are you approaching companies and the executives of those companies where you say, look, man, like the times have changed. The digital transformation is now like, go make it. I, I think that you have to kind of look at why they're holding on to those data centers and legacy technology pieces. Right. Um, and, and it's funny because, you know, I, I do a lot of advisory with, with, with software and sales organizations. Um, but like, what's, what's really funny is that a, a lot of the decisions of why they're keeping something or why they haven't moved out of a data center, they're not actually based on like great business decisions, right? They're based off of um, some aspect in many cases of just an avoidance of a problem of, Hey, we don't want to really get in there. You know, we don't really want to try to spend all the time to, to understand the, 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 the nuances of, of of how these products or tech tech pieces work, um, so it's so it's really just in a matter of them not willing to truly commit to understand their company. They're like, hey, it works, um, but what that does is that limits their upside, right? Like yeah. like you mentioned, if you were to start a company today, and all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I'm not going to use any of these these SaaS solutions. I'm not going to use any cloud solutions. I'm gonna, I'm going to try to just go old school. Um, you know, set up my own server. You know, I'm just going to use local instances of, of, of office. Like you're just putting yourself at a massive disadvantage from your competitors. And I think that's where those organizations are, are, are today. Um, they just, a lot of them just don't know it or won't, won't open their eyes to realize it. And, and do you feel like that decision is like still, you know, to not make it as in the, is in the CIO shop? Or do you think they're kind of like, Hey, let's go. And like their, their bosses, you know, are like, no, we're not ready. Yeah. So I think a lot of CIO shops, um, and this might rock some feathers, um, live in a world as order takers where they'll say, hey, the business said they want this, so we're going to deliver this. When, where really the CIO, if they're operating at the appropriate level, should be t- having that conversation with the business and saying, hey, you want this outcome. You want speed, flexibility, you know, yeah, uh, remote access, whatever it is, right? Here's are the solutions that we believe are going to be best for the enterprise. Um, so, but but instead they they sit there and say the business says, hey, I want this thing because they researched some widget and tech says, all right, we're going to go implement that. And they don't really serve as that advisor or a true true partner, um, which is, I think is, is is a big big detriment, man. It's so true, bro. So so let's peel that back a little bit because I think I'd love to get your take on the CISOs today, mm-hmm. right? Like. I, I almost think it might be worse with that, with, a, with a, a lot of our peers, right? Like, yeah. you know, cause if you, if the CIO is, is kind of just placating to the business and not being a thought leader and really having a seat at the table, a lot of CISOs report to CIOs, like wh- where, you know, where are they falling short? You know, or how are they handling that? They do. And what's really funny is, is you can actually pick it up in the conversations when you talk with them. When a CISO says, Oh, we got to sell this to the C-suite what they are actually just said out loud is that they're not part of that executive decision process. Right. Right. They're like, Oh, we got to sell to the C suite. It's like, so that C in front of your name is a fake C. It's like a lowercase C right. as opposed <laughs> to a real chief. Cause if you're really the chief, then, then you get to make some decisions. Right. That's it. 
Yeah, right. Um, you're, you're finishly responsible to protect the shareholder value, right? Like at the end of the day, like that. You're right. Is that is that big C and little C? And there's so many little C's out there. There is. It, there's and, a lot of little C's. And it's scary, bro, because they're they're walking into these roles thinking they actually have some juice to be able to make an effect change and to, you know, talk to the board. So it's like, man, how much, how many of these CISO roles are like just insurance policies at this point? They are. And and it's, I think it's, it's their insurance policy, but they're also, you know, it, it's like, um, it's almost a disservice simply because like the security leader isn't able to, to engage or have a real conversation. And that's, that's just not inspiring, right? Like if you go into a company or if you go into a house and you're brought in as the general contractor, they're like, Hey, we're going to do all this stuff, but we just want you to check code. Like does that wall that we built meet business? Like that is, that's not inspiring, right? right? Like, like, Hey, I came here with a hammer. I came here to be part of the crew. And, and, and you don't get to do that. Um, but I, I also think, though, that there's a, a, a bit of where a lot of security leaders, they don't understand their business. Right? Like, they don't know what they're actually protecting. Yep. Uh, because they don't know how the company makes money. And so they kind of put themselves in, in, in a bit of, of a bad It's business. so true, man. Everybody's still talking threat and vulnerability and, you know, how many incidents they had last quarter and... Yeah. how well they did on their patching SLAs and right. It's like, they're not talking about business operations protection. You know, they're not, they're not trying to become a, a security executive. Right. They're, they're not like all of the, the a lot, uh, in my opinion, a, a big, a big challenge is that a lot of those little C CISOs right now, we're after this, we're going to have to like you trademark that or really call that out. Hey, are you big C or a little C, right? <laughs> right. Um, like those little CCSOs, right? Like they're always talking about punitive outcomes. They're like, oh, we're going to fire somebody because they fit, they, they click on a thing or we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to dock somebody's pay because they put in poor code or whatever it is. But there are no real conversations, those, those little CCSOs, where they're really having a positive outcome of like, oh my goodness, if we can hit this target, then we should be able to drive, you know, help drive customer uh, attention or, you know, re- retention by X number or whatever that is. Right. Like yeah. it's all negative, you know, dude, I, I can't agree more. And and there's so many things we got to dive into. we got to quick, take a quick break. So, Hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF seven radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram by searching at TF seven radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF seven family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show, the show, or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause some quick messages from our sponsors, and we're right back with managing partner at Delve Risk, Mr. Anthony Johnson. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. 
By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with managing partner at Delve Risk, Mr. Anthony Johnson. All right, my man. So I'm loving this uh, big C, little C conversation we're having here in the first segment bro i gotta be honest it's so true and the other thing that's kind of come up recently it's kind of been an epiphany for me where and i don't know why i didn't think about it sooner but it came up kind of the last few weeks and i'd love to get your take on it you know because you just came out you know you you participated in the book on cybersecurity sales and you know the challenge i found is when you're building mature teams and a lot, there are a lot of immature teams out there. The sales teams that are interacting with most folks default to the least common denominator. And I'm finding that a lot of times you get kind of the JV sales team and you don't really get to dive deep to fully understand all the capabilities that they're selling, even after you purchase them for a certain thing, right? You could be in yep. 10, 12 months and not realize these certain capabilities existed. And you're like, where was this? So, you know, the question I have for you, man, is where are the sales folks commitment to making the customer succeed? That's, dude, that's a really, really good question, right? Um, Here's what I here's what I, I think that the reason why there's a gap, and then, then let's get into where the, these people actually are. Um, I think a lot of salespeople don't actually know what it means for a customer to succeed, right? And so they conflate or mix up the aspect of them of the customer buying a product 
you know, with a, a new in a new Gartner quadrant or whatever as success. And, and, and they're like, oh, you're only going to be successful if they buy my stuff. Um, and a big part of that is because they don't actually know what the customer is trying to do. Right now, the, you might be able to say, oh, well, you know, they're trying to become more secure. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, yeah, what's um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, please. <laughs> yeah, let, let's hope they're trying to be more secure, right? That's like a no-brainer. Like, it, of course, right? <laughs> it, it's it, it's true, but like, so for example, right? Like, there are customers right now, you know, with the the, the great air quotes, great resignation um, going on, where like their version of success is not implementing a new product. It's making sure that they don't lose some of these people. And so, you know, you're like, well, what, what could a salesperson do? Well, salespeople, they, they tend to meet a lot of people and it is quite possible for them to be like, you know what? Hey, it looks like, I know this is really tough, but I know some great people. If you have, if you have some openings, I'd love to help connect you. And what you're going to get from that security leader is like, dude, I so needed a person who's going to just help, help me network maybe. Right. And I'm just saying there, there's just a lot of different things that security leaders are, are working on where they need help depending on where they're at across their, you know, the, the, their career and program. Dude, it's so true, right? So, I mean, look, you've been on the other side of this, right? When you're an executive and now you're, you're an entrepreneur. So you're, you've got to do the sales thing, right? And I think at any, any level of, you know, of any company, everyone's kind of selling on behalf of their company, but you're truly now having to, to sell and, and, and salespeople like truly are having to, to sell. And, yeah. you know, the manner in which that happens, but I think, what you do really well and what most you know successful sales people that I like to work with do well is that they build a relationship and it's not just about getting a deal done all the time. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you the number of cold calls or emails on LinkedIn where people don't even like do their research. They think I'm still at my last company. <laughs> Right. Or they they don't do any homework at all and it's completely turned offish. So tell me a little bit about the book that you were part of, Cybersecurity Sales, A Buyer's and Seller's Perspective. I'd love to get kind of a little bit about it, what brought you to it, and and tell the audience uh, a little bit more. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. So um, the whole perspective and and, and kind of the reason why we wrote the book um, was to to kind of give both sides of a view into both sides of the coin. So So many times you have a seller who reaches out and we you know what they've got is they've got, you know, product X that they're going to sell and they, they just assume there's budget and they assume there's a need because their manager said that this is the best product in the world. Um, and they haven't taken the time to understand the buyer. So what we did in the book is we start off with the seller's perspective and then we give a buyer's perspective and every chapter has kind of those, those two paradigms there. And it's been really, the feedback has just been really, really great of people being like, I could totally, I, I remember a sales call and the person said or did that thing. That makes a lot more sense than what I, sh- now I know what I should have done. Right. Um, and so, so we, we just try to give both perspectives because one of the biggest challenges in my mind isn't actually how sellers sell. It's actually how buyers buy because we, we, we don't even try to, um, to, uh, like 
we're not buying things necessarily that solve the biggest problem. If we were, I think you'd see a lot more asset inventory solutions being emphasized as yeah. opposed to the next threat Intel thing. Um, not, not to pick on threat Intel companies, but just using it as, as kind of a high level example. So, so that's, so think about that, right? I mean, when you, when you're a little C and you don't necessarily have the budget you need, but you've got to do a ton of like market research and start to understand, okay, like what do I really need to buy? As soon as you pick up the phone or you have that first meeting with most salespeople, that starts the salesperson's clock. And then it's around like, yep. well, I met with this company where our, like their, their deal funnel starts getting, you know, the sales managers, yep. like, what's up with the funnel? What's the likelihood? And you're like, you know, and some the small CISOs that don't have a big budget, which are most of them at this point, right? Yep. Are like, dude, I just need to understand what you have. And I'm doing a bunch of research, but man, the, the pressure that gets put on both sides of that equation, because now like that first meeting has happened. It and, has. you know, so it's, walk me through kind of how you guys covered, you know, that and, and where do you think, you know, what needs to change on, both sides to kind of loosen up the pressure, um, you know, uh, to make salespeople comfortable with like a longer sales cycle. Yeah. So, and, and it, 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 it's funny because like, it's not even them being, being comfortable with the longer sales process. It's that they're, they're so incentivized to hit, hit an outcome by a quarter that that's where they start to like the outcomes that the security leaders need are often, you know, incongruent or misaligned with the, with the mechanism that these or outcomes that the salesperson needs. Um, and so like you, you get these two things that like it works out a lot of times when you really just get the, the end result of product X being bought, but it's not often matched up with the, the way they would have liked it to, right. It could have been, there's a lot of, inefficiency in, in that. Um, but I think a lot of that just has to start with understanding who you're working with, who you're working with to, for the buyers. The reality is, is that buyers are not going to spend the time to truly understand their sellers. Um, they'll try, they'll spend time to understand a product. Um, yeah, but like some of them, let me, let me just add this last piece. Like my most effective relationship was actually with somebody who worked at a VAR and any VAR she went to, like it became, I, I just knew that she was going to advocate for my needs of what I actually wanted, as opposed to trying to sell me one product. Now, she had the luxury because she worked at a VAR and could represent a ton of different products. Um, but the overall relationship, everything for me, everything had to go through her. Which makes it a lot simpler, right? Because then you can just yeah. funnel it in, you know, have those strategic conversations with her. Hey, this is what I'm looking for the next quarter, two quarters, whatever. Um, exactly. And you don't have to worry about, you know, the sales cycle. I, I have to say, like, I, it's not always easy on the buyer side, but I do try to like understand how the sellers are incentivized. So like, if they got to try to close it, when they get to close a deal and get, you know, hit their number, like if I'm, if I can make it happen, I want to make it happen because like at the end of the day, like, you know, they got to get paid. They got to, their, their kids got to eat. Right. Like Dude, that's eat. exactly a lot of buyers. And I love that about you, man. And I, I did something similar of where like, I would actually take vendor cold calls, you know, on, uh, on, on Tuesdays from three to four, I did my entire career, right? Like the, the, the reality here though, is that like, even if you reach out to, to uh, sellers, right. And say, you know what? I just, I want to deeply understand what you're doing. Like a lot of times they're super 
hesitant to even share that because they're not sure how you're going to perhaps use that information. So there's this, this, this angst or mistrust that's still, that, that's there is something else I think we need, need to be able to kind of like tackle and work through too, man. Yeah. And I think there's just a level of like trust that has to be built. And, yeah. you know, some folks are like really good at building trust very early others. It just comes across and it's like, it's once it's, once it's, not able to be established really quickly, it's like never going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I love for, I love that you, you guys were covering this stuff in the book because man, you know, the, sometimes the sales teams are just like really shooting themselves in the foot so fast, so soon. And it's such an uphill climb after that. And, and you feel bad because they're doing their, their best they can, but man, you know, it's just not gonna be successful for them. The, the VAR conversation is an interesting one because it, it really simplifies the vendor management process. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're also paying the VIG on that, right? Like, you, like, like I'm also, no, I'm gonna, I got a 20% markup because I'm going through the VAR or whatever that is, right? Per, per the region, you know? There's always the juice somewhere. You know, you're absolutely exactly. right. Um, yeah. Um, and it sucks, right? Like, um, and so, but I, I do think that there should be more, there should be more transparency around that. I didn't actually understand what deal reg was and how these organizations work together until I was on the other side. And, you know, um, somebody's like, oh, well, you can get deal reg and get this. And I'm like, where, where does that magic money come from? It's like, oh, you know, we negotiated the price. I'm like, I could have been buying products for 20 to 30% cheaper my entire career. That's insane. <laughs> right. Well, so once you find that out, right, that's where also where the relationship starts to get a little sour, right? Because you're like, wait, I could go direct to the vendor and not pay the VIG on this, right? With yep. the VAR or, you know, and then I know like that's going to get cut by 30, 40, 50%, you know, because things become more commoditized or you get the end of the quarter and they got to hit their number and they just want a new logo, whatever it is, right? There's a million different reasons why this stuff happens. But I'm excited that you guys are covering this in the book because it's, you know, just like you have to manage your employees, right? And, and you want to, you know, interact with your, your customers. It's no different in your partners in the partner ecosystem. And, um, you know, you, you can't have an us them mentality when you're going into these negotiations because you're, you're, you're tied together for a while, right? You do that one to three year deal, like you're, you're living together for a little while. You know, <laughs> you are, man. That's exactly and, it. And you're paying for either a really great experience or an awful one with no outcomes. And, you know, it can be really bad. Um, so uh, it, good for you, man, to tackle that issue. Uh, but I do want to ask, like, you know, kind of, con- you know, converting from being on the buyer side, the buyer side to the, you know, some of that, the seller side, what's been the biggest lesson for you? Um. I think honestly, I think it goes back to people. Um, like probably the biggest lesson for me was was really when I found myself on this other side of the table, and um, security leaders and friends that I'd, I'd worked with um, suddenly kind of viewed me as like, "Oh, you're on the other side." I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, wait, hey, like we're still trying to we're still trying to solve the same things, right?" Like. Um, and by the way, I'm not, I don't sell anything to enterprises. So it got even weirder for me. Um, but it, it was like this weird, this weird line in the sand between being a buyer and seller. But what nobody tells you is that more than likely as a security leader, 
when you decide to hang that security leader hat up, like you're going to work with or for a vendor selling something or advising in some form or capacity, right? Like, unless you go start your own thing, like you're going to, you could be an advisor, you could be a CISO for them. So like, you're going to be out of that enterprise seat at some point. And it's just, it like, that was just eye-opening. Um, just like the, all of a sudden you were, I was just on the outside and it was really, really weird. If that makes sense. It, it totally does, bro. And, and I think it's where people fall short. Right. Because when you, if you, if you know the person, like I know you, known you for a long time, and I know that whatever you're going to be a part of is going to be good. And whatever you're going to be a part of, you're trying to do it for the right reasons. Yeah. And, you know, when people just assume that, well, he's no longer, you know, in the seat, as we say, right. Um, And he's on the other side of the table. Like that really shouldn't, in fact, I'm more excited that you're over there uh, because now, I can get access to something that maybe I wouldn't have had access to or get introduced yeah. to, you know, something that it, it, new and innovative that maybe wasn't, didn't exist. Um, so, which brings me to kind of where we were talking about earlier in terms of leadership. I personally, and I'd love to get your take on this. I personally, if someone leaves my team and goes to a different company or a different team, I don't, you know, if we're having that conversation, like, I'm cool with it, man. Like I want people to be successful and happy and their families are happy and everyone's taken care of. So I'm a big believer in like, you know, next plays, like you, you know, you've got your people, they go off and they're doing other things and they're still your people because you're going to all end up working together in some capacity at some point anyway. Yes. Like, what, what's your, what's your take on that and kind of how has, you know, going from the, 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 the seat to the, the other side kind of, either strengthened or weakened relationships with folks like that? Um, for, I think for me, like, especially when I would have somebody who worked for me that moved on, I'm very much in the same mindset of like, Hey, let's, let's celebrate them. Um, I do think though, there are some, there's some things that kind of pay attention to like, if, you know, if they're in a, in, in, in a, in a, in a role where, um, where they need to grow, they need to learn. Like sometimes you have to let kids fall down so that they can learn how to walk type of thing, right? Yep. And they don't see the forest of the trees on that. Like they, they, they quite literally just are like, hey, I'm going to go do this other thing um, because, you know, the world's not fast enough for me type of thing. Um, I think you, you have to make a decision as a leader of figuring out like, hey, is this somebody that, that my mentorship is really going to help or not? Um, and that's tough, right? Like that, that's, that's tough. I, I, I say all that though, because like there are people I've worked with who were working on a project, didn't even see it through, um, left for, for some really, you know, crazy reason. And you're like, Hey, I, I don't know that in the future, I'm going to spend as much time investing in you. Cause like, I don't think you take your career the same way. I, 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 you know, the same level of seriousness, if, if, if you will. It, it, it's a valid point, right? And I think especially when you get into like junior analysts, year one, two, that are hopping, like, you know, yeah. maybe before they're ready for that yep. next role, but the market demands that you, because we say that, you know, there's a major talent shortage, um, you know, that people are empowered very early in their career when they don't have all the skills needed for those next roles. And they're very quick to make that next step. And there's going to be a point where they're going to plateau and they're going to, it's going to hit them. 
but you know the market's they, kind of they are. Some of that. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And like, listen, if somebody wants to 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 leave a company or leave working for you for another thirty percent, like those are that's a real that's a real amount of money, right? Um, so you you can't necessarily fault them too much for it, but like, there is something to be said about. Like when I was younger, especially earlier in my career, like I was, you know, techie dude. Um, and I, I thought really highly of myself. And, you know, sometimes people would say, well, there's only certain things you can learn, you know, with experience. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. But man, there's really a lot that you can only learn through experience, right? Like there's there's stuff you only learn when you blow things up and, and then you have the right leadership and support to help you figure out how to respond to that, right? Um and I think that if I'm working with somebody and they they can't accept that message that, hey, you just have to go through and bear through this. You have to go through some tough performance cycles of like, you know, coaching somebody. Um, I, dude, I had somebody quit once. Uh, they left because they didn't want to deliver the hard message because like it was, it was a, um, a tough performance review um, that they had to, to deliver. But this person was their friend for a long time. And they're like, I can't deliver that message. So I'm like, for the last year, you were telling me they weren't doing the work. <laughs> like, like <laughs> you, you have to do this. And they're like, well, I'm going to end up leaving anyway. And I was like, oh, okay. Like in the future, I'm not going to spend as much time helping that person. If that makes sense. I get it. <clears throat> yeah. Because they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Right. They, 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 they didn't. Right. Like and as a leader, as just people, right. Like I, I say this a lot. Um, and like, sometimes it feels more profound, but like, you know, when we are with people, sometimes we're there to, to help and sometimes we're there to be helped. And the worst thing is like when you mix the two up, right? Like when, when, when fate puts you into a conversation or a relationship with somebody or a company or whatever, and the real reason, the reason the universe has is because you're supposed to learn something. And you sit there thinking, oh, no, I'm here to teach them something. It's like, uh, not only did you miss the objective, but like you probably took away somebody else's opportunity of, of growing by helping you too. Yeah. It's an interesting point. Cause I think it's um, one of the things that I, I tell folks on my team, you know, or what I'm, or folks I mentor um, when you come out of an interaction with somebody, I would ask yourself like, what was the gift? Cause it, you know, a lot of times it's very easy to go down the rabbit hole of like, that person didn't understand what I wanted. I didn't get the outcome I wanted. Yep. Um, my boss doesn't appreciate what I'm doing or like that meeting sucked, whatever it is. Right. Like, and, and we very focus on the negative all the time. And one of the things I, I try to emphasize is like, let's get the positive out of that. Like, what was the thing that made it good? Like, what did I learn? Like now I know that person doesn't like this thing anymore. And this person consumes information this way. Like I didn't prepare for that or whatever it might be. Right. And so focusing on that gift has been like a really big piece of advice for folks. And I see people turn their mindset around and all of a sudden now it's like these, all those things that we would bash each other on in terms of negatives now become like self-reflection and positive yep. you know, things. Um, what were some you know, of the things that you, you know, yeah. So I think what were some of the little tidbits that you've learned as you progress through your career to kind of help, you know, shift some of these, um, you know, negative perceived negative interactions that are actually, you know, could be positive. Yeah. So, so really, really great. Dude, that's a really great question. Um, I think for, for me, like 
there have been times of where I try to be super transparent. I'll give you an example. I went through and came into an organization. We had to do a lot of org, org change design stuff, right? Which meant putting people into different roles. People were just mis- mismatched on their skills. Um, and I remember making it a very transparent process. I took the entire management team, and there were a couple hundred people in the, in the, in the full program, took the entire management team, though, and said, hey, we're going to be involved in, in picking and, and deciding how this org looks, right? I don't want to do this with just like a big four in, in the closet here. And then we come out and say, oh, here's your new role. And people were super upset about it. Like wow. they, were, they were legitimately upset that they had to spend so much time instead of working on like, they're, they're like, well, we got these projects to, be, to do. And I'm like, listen, a, a little C, you know, if you're a, a mid-level manager, like you can get so locked into the, the tactical delivery things. And what we want is we should be helping to drive the bigger strategy. Now, I'll give, in that example, six months later, six, a guy ended up leaving after we did the org change stuff. Um, and uh, it was a great opportunity for him where he went to. And six months later, he shoots me a note and he's like, hey, I am, I'm going through another org change at this new company I joined. I am so thankful for and appreciative of just how much transparency you gave. Cause what I thought I wanted was just come out, tell it, we can go deliver the message. Um, but that really sucks. Cause I'm going through that right now. And it was like this, 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 this note of appreciation where I was like, Oh dude, you get it. Like yeah. you get it. Cause now you're going through that other side. And he's like, in the future, I'm going to make sure that every time I have to do something like this, I'm very transparent. So like, it was just that, 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 that little thing, but it turned into like, you know, touching somebody else's life where now they're going to be more transparent. Um, but I, I yeah, love it. That, yeah. The yeah. transparency is so important, right. In leadership, because I think even if people don't like the process at the end of the day, there's like tool, new tools in their toolkit that they would have never had, had you not been transparent. Yep. And, 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 and for them to grow, they got to see those things. And I think that's a really big point. I mean, especially when you talk the little C, the big C, because a little C doesn't have access to those tools, most likely. And, and, and you know, they probably, they probably don't really try to learn. Like, you know, I, I imagine it's like you walk away from your spouse and you're like, ah, I didn't get what I want. That's like the, the, the response of a little C. Like, ah, I went to the board. I didn't get what I want. Right. Whereas... A big C, where I, where I think if you're having uh, you know a good conversation with your your spouse, you're like, hey, we were we we talked about what what our overall outcome was, what we want for the family. Yeah, I, I usually prefer beach vacations, but you're right; it's going to be way better if, if for the family if we go on this you know learning excursion for the kids or whatever it is. But you're making a decision for the unit, um, and you're you're actually not like bitter you didn't get your outcome specifically. Nice. What's the gift, right? That's what. Yeah. What's wearing. the gift? I love the. I love the way you kind of package that up, right? Like, um, but it's true. So true. Very cool, man. All right, hey, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from managing partner at Delve Risk, Anthony Johnson. You're listening to Task Force Seven Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. 
with forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with managing partner at Dell Risk. Mr. Anthony Johnson. All right, my man, let's finish this show up strong. And uh, <laughs> I love the energy, dude. Yeah, man, we got to keep it real over here at TF7. You know that. So, so look, man, I'm loving what you're doing at Delve Risk, but I love it. Give me a little flavor for like why you decided to start it. Um, that is such an interesting question. I, I can tell you the day I knew I was going to start the company. Um, I was toying. I, I decided to leave Cap One. I was toying with the idea of whether I go back into a, a, another CISO gig in New York or whether I go try something different. So I'm standing at the beach in the water, playing with the waves my, with my daughter. She was four at the time. And I was like, do you think daddy could to be successful? I start a business. I literally asked her this while I'm holding her the waves. And she goes like, it was the sweetest thing. She goes, you don't know until you find out. And man, <laughs> <laughs> that hit me. I was like, oh my goodness, you're right. Right. I run over to my wife and I'm like, you know what your daughter just said? You don't, she goes, really? You don't know till you find I'm like, listen, that's like, and it just, it really helped to ignite that, that like fire in me. I'm like, you know what? I don't know. I want, I do want to live a life of where like I can sit back and be like, you know what? I took a shot. I took a swing. Right. And we, we, we tried to do the thing. Um, so a, a life of note, if you will. Right. Um, 
I didn't set out with this idea of like, oh, I'm going to solve this and do that and, and make the world a better place and, and be rich or, or anything like that. Um, it really started with this aspect of like, you know, can I, can I do this? Like, can I? I think I, I, think I can. Let's, let's go ahead and give it a shot. And um, that's what really was, was the driver. Now, along the way, as I'm talking with people, working with clients, I learned a lot about like, what the problems are and challenges they have. And um, like, that was really helpful in helping me to, uh, to land a, the problem of what we're doing, like what we're actually solving. Um, but yeah, that's where, that's where I landed up, man. Anyway, um, yeah. it was, it was more of a, let's, let's try, let's try to do something. Let's, let's make it different and cool. I love it. So what are the biggest challenges that you're solving for your clients today? Um, yeah. So um probably the biggest challenges really stem around the aspect of saying, do they know the buyer? Um, how do they get into the head of the buyer? How do they understand the priorities? Um, now we do that by doing a lot of like research and helping them to try to think through, you know, um, understand the, the persona, if you will. Um, we will spend time with clients where they'll have, you know, their sales reps, giving us pitches and presentations and, and we're giving feedback of like, Oh, I wouldn't go through that. Or I, I, I wouldn't highlight that, you know? Um, but really it is around helping them to understand the market um, and not necessarily what they want to hear. Like there's a lot of, like I, I had this one client, you know, they were talking a, a, a lot about um, like their whole pitch was telling security leaders that they've been doing it wrong. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's rewind <laughs> here. <laughs> right. Yeah, your, your, your pitch is to go to these security leaders who have been working with boards and regulators, telling them that they've been doing everything right. And now they're going to go back and say, we've been doing it wrong because we didn't have this product. Like that's, that's just not going to go well. <laughs> I know. So I, I do wonder, like, so it, it sounds like you're doing a lot of translating, like CISO translation for sales and marketing folks, which is really commendable because they need it. But, it, but at the same time, you know, I've always felt like if you could just empower somebody to make it feel like it was their idea and yeah. you're, you're putting them on the, on the, on a pedestal, like, man, you like, you know, you can do anything if we, if we set it up the right way. And how much of this is the sale, you know, your, your customers having to like check their ego um, to be able to get to that level of trust with the buyer? Uh, there, there's, there's a bit of that. Um, there's also a, a sense of making sure that they are aware of the buyer's ego, right? Like, like whenever you meet somebody and they say, oh, I don't have an ego. I'm like, okay, you're lying for one. We all have an ego, right? We're all, we're all sensitive in, in, in some form or fashion here, right? Um but like there is, there's just this thing of like where we really need to be able to understand um, who we're working with, what we're doing, what they're doing. Um, and with that, we spend a lot of time with clients on that. Yeah, that's it's. I'm sure like it's extremely helpful for them because I mean, going into these meetings, it's like you know, at the end of the day, man, it just comes down to like executive communication skills, right? Or just interpersonal skills and being genuine and human and wanting the best outcomes for both sides of the equation. Right. It's like, yeah, we just got to appreciate people as being people and not like a sale or a salesperson or whatever. Right. Like, it's like, man, we just all want the same things. 
Um, that's, that's, that's exactly it, right. Like, and I think there's a piece to like the most empowerful, uh, like the most powerful or influential thing that like that exists in my opinion, like an architecture is a bridge, right. It's something that can bridge two spaces together. Um, and that's really what we're, we're set it out to do, setting out to do right now. We bridge the communication lines between the CISO and the buyer, right. Um, or, or, or the, or the, or the seller really. And, uh, it's kind of crazy when you when you actually understand and realize like they are that far apart from each other, right? Um, where security leaders don't know what the like you mentioned, you spend time trying to understand the the, the sellers' incentives, how they work, so you can maybe help them out because they're people too. Um, it's just it's 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 crazy when when we kind of set our set our egos aside. I think. Yeah, man. All right. So before I let you go. I, I try to anybody I, I think that is, is killing it. I gotta I gotta get their opinion here. So, um, what advice would you give someone looking to start up their own business? Um, so I would say it's the same advice that I got when I when I was doing this. Um, talk to everybody. Um, so I before I started Delve Risk. That August, like before I actually pulled the trigger, I spent the entire month just talking to founders, people who worked at startups, sales teams, and just like asked them what was good, what was bad, what was horrible, like how did you do this, how did you do that, and so you're just in this constant, constant learning mode. Um, and what you realize is like you just know nothing, and the only way you're going to get to know something is just by by jumping in and doing it. So talk to everybody. Um, but really just to get a, a true sense of like how deep that water is um, and then ask lot, lots of questions, right? Like there are so many, there's so many times where I'm talking with somebody and I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing, right? Like, so I've learned to just like check my ego as much as I can at the door just to ask those, those really great questions of like, Hey, what, what's a CRM? Like, I didn't know as an enterprise CISO, I never had to deal with a CRM really, right? Like, what is a CRM? Oh, why, why did you pick that one? Um, that's going to be, you know, pay itself in, in dividends. So just, just talk to people. It also turns into great opportunities for business, man. Like you just never know where the next meaningful relationship is going to turn to, right? Like one of my favorite examples is Bill Gates. He said that, you know, out of the thousands of people that he pitched, there were, what he said, like there were 13 that really believed in him, enabled him to, to become you know, to found Microsoft. Like that's crazy. Yeah, man. That's, it's so, it's so true. You know, like you got to take a lot of swings. So, and then apparently you got to take your daughter to the beach. You got to do that too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Anthony. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks, dude. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up on out of here. Before I go, I will remind our listeners to visit the cybersecurity hub to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at cshub.com. That's the cybersecurity hub at cshub.com. Don't forget to visit aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7 to get your own pair of TF7 sneakers. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. 
Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 